Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. My name is Dave Hanrady and there will be no encore. Welcome to the No Encore Music Podcast. It's episode 272 on the Headstuff Podcast Network. I sounded very formal there, like you I was very about to much deliver did, yeah. some bad news. Instead, I will deliver my co-host, Craig Fitzpatrick. How's it going, buddy? <laughs> some might consider bad news, but um, I'm not too bad. I'm pretty good. Good news this week. Oh, Made okay. it through another week. That's about oh, all right. It. <laughs> Sorry, I thought, you were about to, I thought you got engaged or something. And I'd be like, wow, okay, awesome. No, no, not yet. It's, it's time. Still, still available, ladies. Hey, listen, who are you talking to? You know, single corner over here. Um, but like, what, what are we doing? What, why are we talking about this? Let's just get on with the show. It's, there's uh, so much music to talk about. Well, I mean, maybe maybe it actually makes sense. Maybe I can tie this in. Uh, top five duos this week. We're a duo. Maybe we should just get married. Just the two of us. Let's get married. That's legal <laughs> now. We, we can do we that. We hit 40 and we're still not attached. Let's do it. I'm getting there before you, though. So, like, do I have to wait around three or four wait. years? Yeah, you'll wait for me, won't you? Sure. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> okay, it's top five duos on this episode. Uh, best and worst, of course. And um, in honour of the fact that we're going to review the new album from Royal Blood, Brighton Duo, been around for a while. Questionable yeah. band in lots of ways, I would say. Rock and Roll, 
We'll talk about that later in the show. Um, also out now, and you're now on Core Feed, is the new No Popcorn, High Fidelity, Rob Gordon, Toxic or Charming. Norma, Higgs and myself discussed that at length. And we also review this year's Oscars one week on because we like to kind of take our time with this kind of stuff, you know, it's gather our one. thoughts. Very much so. Um, also, yeah, so Patreon, patreon.com slash noencore. Um, the new episode of No Oxcore, which is Craig and I's monthly review corner, in which we kind of um, go through what we've been listening to over the last few weeks or so. Um, it should have been out by now. I put out a note in the Patreon post this week in the preview. Uh, apologies for the delay on this one. A combination of a heavy workload and some personal matters meant that we are recording it this weekend. So we're recording it this Sunday morning with the intention of getting it out on Monday. So thank you so much for everyone who has been incredibly patient. I know it's the highlight of their month, uh, as is supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash noancore. We're very efficient altogether, I swear. And thank you so, so much for all of your support. Let's jump into the news. Hit the music. Hey, you heard about the good news? And leading the news this week, the man who put it together, Craig Fitzpatrick. Yes, Dave, and new metal is still in the air uh, after our top fives last week, best and worst. Uh, some people were saying there was um, no real discernible difference in quality between both lists. Uh, it's not for me to say. They're fools. But, yeah, they know nothing. We captured the zeitgeist, it would seem. Um, this story caught my eye because I immediately got a fright thinking that I had missed Mother's Day, but uh, thankfully it was the US Mother's Day. I don't know why we can't combine those. Surely we should at this point like uh it was it was a moment um the good news is that yet yeah, happened in the u.s and willow smith <laughs> marked it by reuniting her mother jada pinkett smith's long inactive new metal act which dave you were talking about recently on the show wicked wisdom <laughs> i believe it was a trivia question aimed at me um she performed with the with the band outside the family's home. It was done, of course, for some content. Uh, it was their. It was an episode of Red Table Talk, which is their Facebook show. I'm not sure if that's the sh- same show where um, they kind of shamed Will Smith for about an hour and talked about some extramarital relationship that Jada was in, uh, which was pure new metal fodder. I must say, maybe it's a slightly different show. But yeah, so they were having a kind of Mother's Day themed episode. Towards the end of the episode, Willow brings Jada outside. There's a stage set up and Wicked Wisdom members Pocket Honoré and Taylor Graves, which are just perfect new metal names, were there along with other musicians. Uh, The story says it was an exciting reunion. Willow got on stage. Uh, She'd been spending months practicing with the band. (laughs) So in a really heartening Mother's Day moment, she joined them on stage for the song Bleed All Over Me. Yeah, I mean, like, that's a heartfelt classic for sure. It is funny, Wicked Wisdom, uh, second mention on No Encore there last week or whatever in the trivia section of the post-top five New Metal quiz. Um, Higgs, co-host of No Popcorn, New Metal Man himself, didn't get that one right either. And he said to me during the week, he said, I think you and Jada Pinkett Smith are the only people in the world who remember that Wicked Wisdom was a thing. And then this story happened. So I have to feel like I've had some influence on the world. And, you know, it was very, it was a very heartwarming story. Did you watch the footage? And do you think Jada Pinkett Smith had no idea what was going on? Because there's a hilarious moment where Willow Smith is all like, come on outside, mom, and brings her outside. And there's a massive stage set up, yeah, lighting everywhere, knew, right? technicians and crew. And she's like, oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> it's like, I don't think so. Yeah, she's not that good an actor, in fairness to her. She's probably a better new metal performer. Um, yeah, no, I totally thought that as well. There's no way this wasn't already kind of, they probably practiced the whole scene as well as the song. 
Um, I'm sure they knew what was going on. But yeah, it was a touching moment, I guess. It was. I think Willow Smith is pretty cool. And so we're I. not getting a full-on Wicked Wisdom comeback, which is probably for the best. Uh, to tie in from last week's New Metal, though, a listener has asked both of us to answer this question. Do Incubus qualify as a New Metal act? For me, Clive, no. I don't think so. Mm, uh, we could go into real detail here. I think for a time they were. I think they were temporarily uh, a new metal band. I believe they had someone on the turntable and on decks, right, at one stage. There was an album that had some mixing and scratching right around that, you know, summertime for humanity year of 1999, I would say. So I think, yeah, I think they dipped their toes in, which to be honest is probably worse, isn't it, than just being a new metal band because they didn't have the courage of their convictions. They just kind of went back to the straight lace stuff pretty quickly. Um, a bit like, was a Machine Head who were just like, pure heavy metal became new metal for like a year or two had a massive album and then spent the next 20 years going oh yeah we didn't really like like all that new metal stuff i don't know what we did uh. so yeah yeah that's, they that's even my did, position um, on it they even did a cover of a police song i feel like you know the new metal well isn't fully dry here for this show i think we could do top five new metal covers at some point we probably should there's loads of them yeah, I think that's one we should return to at some point. There was a lot of bands that I was, like, it was in that incubus bracket of, like, whether it was Stained, Puddle of Mud. It was like, they're not quite new metal. They're kind of new metal adjacent whilst being in very much in that world and in that story. But, uh, yeah, we went with the True Blues, the, the likes of Fred Durst, who were, you know, not just in it for the nookie, but in it for the new metal purism. <laughs> It remains a fascinating genre. I've gotten a lot of stick for leaving Linkin Park out of my top five, and it's just a case of there's just only so much that can go around, but I tell you what, right? I promise to do Linkin Park right, because there may be a time in the near future, on a different audio arena, when I get a chance to bring the new metal gospel to more people. Watch this space. (laughs) Wow. Tantalising. Very excited. Right. Contemporary news, Greg. Bring us back in. Live gigs are happening, Dave. If you want to go to Liverpool. (laughs) Liverpool? (laughs) That yay kind of trailed off there. Um, Yeah, it's the last weekend. There was gigs happening uh, galore in the city. Um, This was all part of the UK government's uh, trial scheme to kind of get people back at spectator events. Um, So Fatboy Slim was playing. Blossoms were playing in Sefton Park. Um, We will have some words from Melvin Ben over at Sefton Park in a minute. But first, Big Norman Cook had a kind of first-hand account of how it went down. Um, This is part of a wider thing as well. They're going to have the Brit Awards, like a full-scale Brit Awards, um, May 11th. There's going to be a cinema opening um, in the middle of the month and then the FA Cup finals taking place. So a lot happening in Liverpool. And yeah, Norman Cook, was fully optimistic about how it's going to go ahead for the kind of wider public and said he had a great time and and I kind of he he probably addressed some of our concerns because we've had that debate ourselves just of like even when vaccines have happened even when it all seems fine going back to those big crowds and like mixing with people seem quite surreal the takeaway from Norman Cook's kind of um, statement overall was that like it didn't feel like oh well this is a dream he said it felt more like a return to reality said just back to normal it almost felt like all the social distancing and masks were the dream so yeah he said there was quite a lot of joy to be had um, after whatever it was 14 months uh, just to be in the room all together at the same time he said he was worried that there'd be a kind of rustiness um, with him and his kind of DJ mates but he said no uh, you kind of just picked up where you left off no one had forgotten how it all works it was just you you know, here we go again, which I think is the Chemical Brothers. But um, yeah, said lots of cheers, touching and hugging. Um, said, you know, stuff you'd take for granted. People were over hugging. 
there was people apparently licking each other, um, which was all fine because it was in a controlled environment and security guards weren't kind of masked up or vaccinated. They were just kind of observing, taking notes on stuff. It seems to go quite well. Does this leave you optimistic, Dave? I don't know if I want someone licking me in a controlled or an uncontrolled environment, Craig, but you've not given again, the go-ahead. No. So Not again, no, not after the last time. But I think it's it's a tough one because so much of this stuff is a wait-and-see approach. So much of this stuff is guinea pig stuff, right? So we don't know. Um, and it's a case of maybe nothing will happen. Maybe only good things will come from this. But what if, in two weeks' time, someone at that event contracts a horrible strain of COVID? I mean, like, what, what if that happens? You know, like, does this mean the whole thing was totally irresponsible? And also, not to be that guy, but, like, it is a bit fucking weird right when in the same breath scrolling through your twitter feed you're seeing footage of people out of hot boy slim gig in the uk and then you're seeing bodies being burned in india and it's like this isn't me being all like moral and pious and whatever it's just a case of the world being so fractured and you know reacting in different ways all over the world all of it accessible like like i say through your phone screen it's hard to know how to feel it's hard to know like is this okay? You know, like, like, can we celebrate this at the same time when there's just absolute horror happening in a different country, thousands of miles away? And like, it's, it's not like, I, I know I sound like a fucking shit talk show host here trying to like stir trouble, but it's just a weird, weird juxtaposition. It's a weird duality. I don't quite know. I, hear you. I, I, I was going to go more highbrow. I was going to say Adam Curtis. So, but yeah, talk show dude, maybe. <laughs> it's, it's just like, like it's it's so hard to get your head around. And like the idea of if, because so, Ireland are going to have to do this, right? I mean, there's going to have to be trial events over here. I mean, you would imagine, and, yeah. And like, I, I want to go because I want to go like from a music journalism point of view. But it's, it, 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 is, it is it wildly irresponsible to do that because how accurate are these tests, et cetera. All of it is government approved. The data is there. There's science there. Precautions are being taken. It's still a bit odd. I know I sound like, like like I sound like my dad now, you know, like don't go to the gig. But it's there's just something weird. I, like I can't quite. It, it's just surreal to me. Fatboy's in being like, yeah, it was amazing. I'm like, okay, <laughs> tell yeah, me more. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let me allay your fears, Dave, because famed concert promoter Melvin Ben has oh, stepped in. Well, look, if he says it's okay, well then, like, fine. He's never been wrong before. Not once. <laughs> Famously Not once. so. He has said, there's no reason at all why the spread of the virus will get out of control. Okay. And that's what this <laughs> event is about. Right. That felt very much like Smash Cut 2, didn't it? A scene <laughs> He said, yeah, it effectively demonstrates that people can be responsible. They can have the test. They can come to the gig, have a test afterwards, make sure there's no virus happening. And I think we're open. I think it means that the festival season really can happen. Uh, This is the man who's uh, betting quite a lot on that very thing happening. And in fairness to him, I'm sure he's had a really rough year of like constant delays and rescheduling and trying to. It must be a logistical nightmare pulling it all together. But um, Craig, sounding bullish again over here, everybody. (laughs) I love it. He's sounding bullish again. And it's got me concerned actually i must say yeah i don't know him in, in it to be anything else it would probably get me concerned if he was downcast if melvin Mann says it's all over then it's probably like i don't know or maybe it's a reverse thing if he says yeah, yeah, festivals yeah. won't happen but like tell that to forbidden fruit who cancelled there you know which in fairness how could that have possibly gone ahead the june bank holiday weekend the rate of vaccines over here longitude surely next you know that hasn't announced anything yet but that's set for the start of july i don't really see the age demographic of longitude being fully vaccinated or ready to go when that rolls around will electric picnic go ahead some so many questions still i just think that the year feels like a bit of a write-off and like i say i mean like i'm not sitting here cowering at the idea of going to a gig but i'm very much just i suppose apprehensive as so many people are 
I do want to go though. And like, I kind of do want to like be part of whatever fucking thing comes up. And I wonder if, I wonder if like, this sounds so like ridiculous, but like, can journalists go? Like, surely like there has to be some coverage of this. Send me and Craig. I would imagine so. And yeah, we should, we should definitely sign up. I would actually, do you know what as well? That would be, if you had the task of like reporting on it a bit, it might make it slightly easier as well, just from your own point of view. So selfishly, yes, I want to go. Um, Send us. True of many gigs that we went to before, though, the amount of like awkward gigs you go to on your own, but because you're like, no, 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 I'm reviewing it. You have the armor of that. You know, you feel like oh, you're yeah. not part Maybe of Maybe a the... notepad. I've occasionally rocked a notepad before transitioning completely to the phone. But like, the yeah. amount of, I've, seen, I've seen it happen to you. You know what's happened to me. The amount of people who will come up to you if you have a notepad and pen and look at you as if like you're a fucking like Stephen Ray and Michael Collins. You know, I'm just like, no, no, I'm, I'm here to take notes of the gig. And somebody once called me the enemy. They didn't say I was from the enemy. They called me the enemy of like enemy of live music. I was just what like, was the gig? It might explain a lot. Oh, it was one of those hot press ones where it was like four thrown together Irish bands and, you know, like, you know, say they're all great type thing. So and you were very much not the enemy. <laughs> you were yeah, the moral no. support and the cheerleader. <laughs> I was the PR <laughs> agent on the evening. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's funny. And like, I, I just like, like the notepad and the pen at a festival, I, 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 of course, would eventually revert to just using my phone. But like, it's not an invitation, you know? Go away. Yeah. Notepad and pen for me started happening when I started getting asked if I was um, selling drugs because I would invariably be in a suit at like a David Guetta gig alone. <laughs> and people just assumed because I was in a suit I was a drug dealer. I don't know. It's that or spy. I did not have any drugs <laughs> that I was selling. <laughs> okay. Move on. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on to Billie Eilish, who's had a really big week. Um, Billie Eilish in Vogue. So I'm sure everyone's seen uh, at least the cover at this stage. Um, she did a really kind of. Much talked about cover shoot and an interview as well with um, journalist Laura Snapes. Um, she's talking about, you know, taking back power by speaking out against uh, systemic abuse, body positivity, the unrealistic expectations placed on young women. Uh, this is to coincide with her new single, which dropped last Friday, Your Power, which is just about that kind of that very thing. Uh, she said it's an open letter to people who take advantage, mostly men. Um, she says then, you know, I don't know one girl or woman who hasn't had a weird experience or a really bad experience and men too. She says young boys are taken advantage of constantly. She's primarily talking about the industry and it's based on her own experiences, which she doesn't go into a huge amount of detail about. But um, that was one part of the conversation. A lot of the conversation was about this new look she's sporting, um, which was, I suppose, quite different to her usual baggy look that, you know, she's talked about how she wouldn't veer away from for a while. Um if you haven't seen the, the photo shoot, yeah, she's basically ditched the kind of trademark oversized stuff for, uh, it was like a series of shoots and just like form-fitting catsuits, essentially, very stylized, your kind of classic Vogue thing, and she earned a lot of praise for doing it because she was saying right out front, you know, people might criticise me for this, but it's the right time for me to do it. And I even saw today there was some interesting think pieces and hot takes about like how actually this is a sad thing that she's had to resort to this and uh, might have been in the paper record of the Irish Times. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of that now starting. The backlash to the backlash. Why? Why bother? I just kind of feel like uh, in a week in which Britney Spears has kind of come out and critiqued the documentaries better as being quite hypocritical, she's saying they're doing the same thing as the ones yeah. that they are supposedly uh, searing w- w- you know, with contempt. I, I like. I think Billie Eilish has her agency, much like I think 
artist like Miley Cyrus has her agency, and I don't think that there necessarily is a cabal of men in suits telling her to do this, dress sexy for Vogue or whatever. It seems like it was very much her decision. The whole point yeah. of it seemed to be that was the point of it, and also to put into text what she put into the visual. Um, I think she's a great role model uh, for, for young women, for young people uh, in the world of music and beyond. I think, you know, if you look at a Britney Spears, for example, 20, 21 years ago, that was mostly a case of somebody being kind of commodified at a very, very young age and her body being used as a weapon and it being used to kind of titillate, really. Uh, I don't know how much agency Britney Spears had. By the sounds of things, she didn't have that much. I would, yeah. I get the vibe that Billie Eilish is in a lot of control. It goes down to even the track listing on her new record. There's not a single featured artist on there. It's just her and her brother. They're doing their thing. Musically, they haven't put a foot wrong. Uh, I think vocally, in interviews that she does give, hasn't said anything wrong. I know that she's been criticised for... A couple of things, which I think is just a natural modern conversation, and I don't think that she actually does hold any viewpoints that are at least. And she's from, also not, nineteen. <laughs> yeah, and like, yeah. has the weight of the world on her shoulders, and you know, is choosing to kind of, I think, you know, use it well. And obviously, the lyrics of that song, "Your Power," are are, are pointing towards that. I, I, I don't. I understand the cult of celebrity. I understand. I understand that people, you know, go crazy when stuff like this happens. And for the most part, I've only seen people just being like, "Wow." She's fucking unreal. This is incredible. But you're always going to get that other side of the coin, right? I mean, but I don't see how this is like corrupting the youth or anything. It's up to her to do what she wants with her body and do what she wants with her image and do what she wants with her lyrics and her art. I hope she does have control. Seems like she does. Seems like yeah. like a record label is lucky to have her and not the other way around. So, so far, everything she's done has been compelling to some degree. Uh, it's a good interview. She comes across incredibly level-headed. I don't quite know how she manages to sustain all this pressure, but maybe she's just able to carve out her own little world and just put it all to one side. Yeah, force for good, for sure. Speaking of forces for good, Bono Get and in. the boys, they are back and they're set to release the official Euro anthem for the upcoming summer events, which um, will be interesting to say at least. They've teamed up with Martin Garrix to record the song. It's called... We are the people we've been waiting. No punctuation. Like be, yeah, I feel like there should be a comma in there somewhere. Um, and also, yeah, it's for Euro 2020, which is still what they're calling... Still branded as Euro 2020, The yeah. tournament that's happening next month, by the way. <laughs> wow, it's upon us. Oh, God. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. How do you feel about Bono and The Edge um, doing this kind of tune? On the one hand, it seems like they're custom-built to do this, and I'm surprised they haven't... Because they're just, like, anti-merchants, right? They're all about the optimism. They're all about the big occasions. Um, they're all about the corporate tie-ins, <laughs> to be sure. But um, the Martin Garrix thing has me slightly concerned. I, I don't think this is going to be good. I'm going to flat out say it. There. It's, wow. I know it's very brave of me, but... Jesus, you know, get off the fence, man. Um, yeah, like, Martin Garrix is a Dutch DJ, a dance maniac, and the, uh, there's an amazing <laughs> quote in this story where it says... A music insider said, uh, Martin adores football, so this opportunity was massive for him, which is why I aim for the very top when looking for collaborators. He spent months and months working on this song to make it perfect, and once Bono and the Edge were on board, it hit new heights. I love these quotes from PR, man. It's always just the most guff, 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 guff. Never yeah. says anything in so many words. Um... Like, we're overdue a terrible U2 football song. I can't believe there hasn't been we one, are. as you point out. And to be fair, this is fucking bread and butter for us, man. Like, this is what we need. We desperately need... Like, I assume with the Euros coming up, we're going to have to dip back into some kind of football top five yet again. And this is just giving us more grist for the mill. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be soulless. It's going to be weirdly referential. 
Do you think they'll make it about lockdown and COVID and stuff? Probably. Oh, there'll be some oblique references and some not so oblique ones, I think. There'll be a few clever, clever little Bonoisms in there. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited about it just to, you know, watch the car crash, really. But <laughs> who knows? Maybe they'll whip up another Where the Streets Have No Name. It's long overdue. Well, keeping on the theme, Ed Sheeran is uh, going to sponsor his beloved Ipswich Town next year. Now, the obvious joke here is, you know, oh, they've suffered enough. But like, in fairness to the guy, he's given them money. You know, um, apparently he's been he's a he's a big fan of of the Tractor Boys. He's he's down at Portman Road every other week when he when he can be, I suppose. Um, but yeah, essentially, there, there was a wonderful thing that happened right back in the early to mid two thousands when. Columbia Pictures, I think, which was a subsidiary of Sony Films, sponsored Atletico Madrid. And for Mm. a season, Atletico Madrid's jerseys would have a different film that Sony had out every couple of weeks. And so you'd have, like, the Spider-Man 2 logo, Hellboy, SWAT... Uh, Gothica and like, oh, like it was just absolute nonsense. It was wonderful. It doesn't happen enough in the world of football. So I'm, I'm okay with with a weird celebrity or kind of pop culture tie-in on the front of a football jersey. It beats fucking Chevrolet, I think. You know, on the United jersey. But I mean, we're gonna see Ipswich next season with uh, <laughs> the word "tour" will be on their shirt, and then below it, it will have a plus symbol, a minus symbol, an equal symbol, a division symbol, and an X symbol, which of course are references to Sheeran's album so far to date. Um, there is a thing where Ed Sheeran has said, "All will be revealed in time." I don't think we need yeah, Sherlock like Holmes just to, <laughs> to crack this one. <laughs> He's clearly coming back with the new album and there'll be a tour. Great. I'm not hating the design, like, you know, separating it from the content of the music. Um, I mean, as a kind of now long-suffering United fan that's had to, like, go through the indignation of the Glazers in general, but also now Team Viewer, just as we thought we were getting away from Chevrolet, Team Viewer, whatever the hell that is, is coming in with it's just... Terrible, terrible logo. I actually kind of like this. I don't know. It gave me kind of um, early PlayStation vibes or something. Just the symbols, nice and clean. It's pretty good. It even beats um, the Libertines sponsoring Margate FC a couple of years ago. If you could pick um, someone to, to jump ahead of TeamViewer and support uh, sponsor Man United, like a band, who would it be? Ooh, a band. Because like, I, th- I think like this raises into question like the idea of a band having a logo that they keep going with. Like Slipknot have had, a, have had their, their own kind of unique font for their entire career. Whereas yeah. I think bands like, do the National, like for example, like, do they go in for the whole font game? Do Some people just like mix it up on every record. And I'm like, no, nah, I think you need to have some kind of branding, some kind of definitive. Like the Rolling Stones lips on... on <laughs> Wouldn't want that. No, yeah. I think that would look kind of terrible. And it might distract the opposition as well. You know, that's very true. Be, I don't know, best band logos. Maybe like record labels, XL would be quite cool. Like I'm all about just keeping it clean. Like if you give me, you know, Milan Pirelli vibes, I'm I'm there for it. Pirelli's a pretty good one, yeah. Uh, for a tire company, I suppose. Um, yeah. Rough Trade could be pretty cool, maybe, possibly. Rough Trade could be nice, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm liking that. Um, we'll one to think maybe about. Maybe some Manchester bands, right? Like a New Order tie-in or something could be cool. What about... What Not about that the- they would have any money to like... What about already the, nearly um, bankrupt themselves, like releasing Blue Monday back in the eighties? What about local heroes, the the Cortiners? You get them on there. Shall we move on? <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Go on. What's Diddy up to? Finally, in everything's going to be all right news, um, which we might need a sting for. It's my favorite kind of news. Yeah, it's pretty good. 
We get like Combs singing Bob Marley or something, yeah. Happiness, um, but no, that would get us cancelled immediately. And, 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 Diddy and, and, has, yeah, actually, that's very. He's even got the do rag. Okay, we'll move on. Diddy has legally changed his name yet again. Uh, it's ahead of releasing new material, so he is promoting something that isn't just the concept of love. He's ushering in the love era, apparently, and he's posted an image on IG of his driving license, which now says Sean Love Combs. And yeah, he said, "Look what I got in the mail today. It's official." Uh, he'd previously talked about doing this uh, changing it up a couple of years ago um, from Sean John Combs to Sean Love Combs and initially it was um, going to be brother love which I'm kind of glad he didn't go with like love is you know very positive message brother love kind of seems like you know there's a commune involved probably a, a legal there's also case. a wrestling character so he might get himself into a trademark battle with WWE so who needs that you know that's consideration so he's just in a battle with the concept of love then I guess or maybe he's, it's a tag team all? situation I know yeah, I am and so. have been for quite some time as we know time, from yes. the top of the show yeah <laughs> He says he never went back to Diddy, actually, so I, I misattributed him there earlier. He's just been Sean, I think, and now he's Sean Love Combs. It is confusing, Craig. You're right. Yeah, okay. there's going to be I'm new music. I don't know if that's particularly interesting with him at this point in time. It's more so the marketing around the whole thing. Okay, I agree. And with that in <laughs> mind, we'll jump from the news section to the album review. So it's best duos, best and worst duos, I should say, later in the show, inspired by these two young men from Brighton. It's Royal Blood. They're back with their third album. It's called Typhoons. This is the opening track. It's called Trouble's Coming. Is it? You don't think I would pretend Trouble's coming but I still don't know where Dangerous stuff from Royal Blood. Dangerous stuff, Craig. Uh, who are they? Tell us all about Royal Blood. As you said, yeah, rock and duo from Brighton. They formed in 2011, so happy anniversary, lads. Although I think they started with a different drummer, which in a two-piece means it's not really their real anniversary, I guess. Um, but when they arrived with the self-titled debut, they were very much heralded in the UK as, like, you know, Britain's answer to the Black Keys, I guess. One key point of differentiation being that they're essentially just a rhythm section so you've ben tasher on drums and mike Kerr handling vocals and bass which is fed through a variety of pedals and amps uh to give them something approaching variety um so yeah solid if not stunning start i would say uh to editorialize there they did have like the fastest selling i think uk rock debut in years they were signed to arctic monkeys like management Ooh, rock not dead after all okay yeah Continue. it was it was the whole thing matt helders would be like performing class and wearing the t-shirt and um yeah if you want to kind of gauge the audience for early royal blood uh they got a 5.6 in pitchfork and enemy said it was a turbo bastard of a rock record so <laughs> <laughs> the full spectrum there. The second album was How Did We Get So Dark, um, which like sanded down some of the rougher edges, I think, if there were any, but it was quite similar and it was criticised as such in the press. And four years on, we've got Typhoons, which is self-produced. Uh, a talking point around this has been Mike Hare's commendably uh, finding sobriety uh, a couple of years ago. And he said, you know, in interviews, he caught himself in something of a spiral, just, you know, tutoring and all that kind of stuff. He had a moment of clarity while drinking an espresso martini in Los 
Las Vegas and he said, you know, sick and tired of being sick and tired. Glad to hear he's um, in a good place. And for sure, there's some kind of lyrical signpost here. Um, words grappling with those kind of problems. Um, if you're expecting, I think, more sensitivity and light and shade, it's more just aiming for the feel good, I think. It ends with a ballad, uh, but the promo single was called Boilermaker and we're more in that ballpark, I think. And they're very much the act that's like maybe the sober guy at the party who's still happy for you to party. And they exist to soundtrack that party, which is the kind of party where the radio's kept on, I guess. So, yeah, they've also added, should I say, disco nods. <laughs> we were going a little bit dance rock, which is par for the course these days. Something in the water. But Dave... Do they rock your boat? I should say that uh, I was on I was on Today FM during the week, and this was my pick of the week. Uh, so, <laughs> so like, and the, which is like ends the ends the music news section. And it's one of those ones where like you're on live radio, you know that like there's an internal metronome in your head where you're queuing this in, and you're trying to get as much in as you can. But also, you're aware that it's you know you got to you, you got to be brief, not like on this show. And so, the last thing I said about this was does the job for me. Now, I just want to walk that back a little bit, right, and just state that in the context <laughs> in the context of I was saying that, like, this is an act that I think more than other acts have suffered by not having a fucking full arena of people to play to on the new album because that's what they do. They pack them in. They're very popular. Yeah. Almost inexplicably so. Um, and I was saying that, like, you know, if you're looking for something to just kind of, like, shake off the cobwebs and give you a bit of a kick, that'll do the job. Does this do the job for me overall? I don't think so but i will say right it goes down so easy craig that like i'm genuinely worried for my end of year spotify uh data because Ooh. i think i've listened to this album over 20 times in the week <laughs> that has been and we have our five listen test i just jumped into it at the weekend it's half an hour it's 38 minutes long i think you know they tend to be quite brief on their records and it kind of flies by and it also has my kind of florence and the machine problems well where it's kind of one long song um, it's also a case of spot the band. Like, who are they on this track? Like, Trouble's Coming There, which I think is a pretty arresting opener, does the job. Feels to me like they heard that Muse song, Panic Station, and were like, we can mm. do that. And that's a Muse song that I quite like, you know, from latter day Muse when they're mostly wretched. Um, then you got like some tracks where they're Hard Fi, they're Wolf Mother. There's even a track where they sound like the more playful side of Perfume Genius. Um, all of which is to say that, like, it never Steady really, on. <laughs> well, do, you, do you not think that um, either you want it sounds a lot like on the floor by Perfume Genius, as in like not a, nowhere near as good, of course, or as nuanced, or as interesting, or as complex, or alive, or poetic, but it's just like borrowing a lot of the kind of sound alike bits from it. That kind of just like you know, bouncy kind of stuff. I mean, like, they're trying a lot of hats here. I do commend Mike Kerr for coming out and being like, you know, the lyrics, some of the lyrics do reflect it. There's lyrics about waking up with blood all over his pillow and, like, you know, looking in the mirror and hating what he sees, not recognising the person, which, you know, is cliched, but also it's his life. So he's allowed to talk about it. And it's cool that he does. But, like, even, like, when I saw that this, this album was out the other day, my reaction was, all right, okay, cool. Like, I guess we could review that. I think we did review the last one. I don't remember doing it. They're an act that have millions and millions of plays on Spotify. They're an act that sell out, like, big fucking shows. But they're just there, right? Like, they're just so forgettable. They exist, they're popular, and it's fine. It's totally fine. I've listened to it constantly this week, but I feel nothing, Craig. I gave it five listens. Um, and that was it. <laughs> don't know if it's fine by me. It's too polite. It's too um, tick the boxes. I mean, first things first, can you tell me the title of track 10, Dave, if you have it in front of you? Hold on. Hold on. 
like okay never judge an album by a track listing but it's just that title for me is so symptomatic of the problems i have with royal blood where it's just there's no reason for a rock band to ever name a rock song hold on ever again there's two billion of them hold on is like the working title of a, a no gallagher b-side circuit like 2001 there's hold definitely the, the actual worst song on raised like second album there's a limp biscuit song called hold on uh, yeah it's a quite a sensitive ballad it um, is Someone else sings on it as well. Who was it? It wasn't Chris Cornell. It was... I'll look it up. You you keep going. You keep going. But, my God. And just, yeah, they're so in awe to their influences. Even if they happen to be, say, Daft Punk or maybe even Perfume Genius this time around, there's a real smack for me of that'll do about the whole thing. And, like, the bravery of kind of creativity, the, the, like, forging of different connections that other people haven't thought of just isn't really there. What we have here is kind of some decent craft i think because it does kind of go down a bit easy um but it's too easy you think so nondescript yeah i got annoyed with how easygoing it was uh scott wayland of stone temple pilots fame may he rest in peace guested on hold on with limp biscuit a better song than anything you'll find here yeah it's 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 just way too pristine and shrink wrapped right this it is yeah it's just but it's enjoyable they know all the tricks it's 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 very kind of enjoyable I didn't enjoy it at all. And I think the lyrics kept, they're just so inane. You picked out a couple of moments there where you can kind of see that there was some real details of his life and some personal stuff there. But by and large, it's a lot of like, either you want it or you don't, come and get it or leave me alone. Or it's just like, what? It's just inane. It just means nothing. There's a line about like, come inside my fallacy, see the other side of vanity, which is is like anti-haters in the industry song. And I read an interview with them where they're talking about the problem with rock now and they're saying it's just become a preservation act. And, you know, obviously we love old school rock and roll, but we're not drawing inspiration from that all the time. Uh, Grew up with music, uh, that music when we were really young, and now it's just kind of part of who we are. But they're basically saying they never want to become that band who doesn't like try things out. And it's like, they're talking a good game, but it's just words because they totally are here. And the dance floor thing, the disco thing, it's as much about making that kind of bass sound like Daft Punk's metallic guitars as anything, I think. It's forced to four vibes, but they were close to that anyway. Like, I didn't really hear that much of an influence coming through. And I don't see it really as dance music. Like, it's it's got no swing, Dave. It's got no swing. So you're <laughs> it's saying just, it's not yeah, I just, actually a turbo bastard of a record? Is that what you're, where you're coming down on this one? No, it's not. Maybe a kind of a limp bastard of a record. It's so I, there's some adrenaline here, like, but it it seems to me like this would be grand for background listening when you're gaming. It sounds like they're stockpiling songs for every FIFA for the next decade to me. Yeah, for sure. No, I agree with that. And also, like, the, the word I was going to use was it's wallpaper because that's why I found it so easy to listen to because I would throw it on while I, either while I was researching for the podcast, out for a walk, um. I don't know. What else does one do? You know, <laughs> like wander not, around your kitchen. Sure, why wander not? Wander around your sitting room, making a smoothie. Not while watching a film, though. That would be insane behavior. But uh, yeah, it's. I do. I felt like when I got off the radio the other day, I felt terrible. I was like, I can't believe I just told people listening on national radio that I'm like, yeah, this is the thing. I was like, I was. I I, I did call them forgettable as well, though. So I feel like I tempered it. But I just felt like I, I really wanted to just like claw back and be like, no, no, wait. <laughs> It's not great, but I just found it to be like, it's, it is kind of the same song over and over again. You're getting like, you know, big polished drums and just like a, you know, kind of, I guess 
I don't know, like what preset would it be on a fucking guitar that you'd pick up when you were a kid? Lots of Daft Punkisms. Yeah, you're right to pick them out. You know where every song is going. You know where every lyric is going. There's no novelty. It's fine. Yeah, there's nothing new. It's, it's, I don't like, like it, but I don't hate you it. You mentioned Muse as well there. It's like, it could be, I know um, Muse have taken real shooing on this show before and drones is atrocious. Oh, and they will sure. continue to. Yeah, they will. Uh, but I think sometimes, you know, Matt Bellamy's maybe earlier kind of madcap, you know, conspiracy theory fields like guitar scientist uh, hysteria and histrionics uh, gave them some magical stuff. And I don't think Royal Blood have that in them. It's very base level stuff. It's again, tick the box. It's fine. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a, there's a real lack of kind of imagination or something in it. Like the songs are exactly what you'd expect. The titles just sound like rides at Alton Towers. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Oblivion, Typhoons, Limbo, Boilermaker. <laughs> Get us a Boilermaker, mate. Yeah, I'm going on the Oblivion ride, innit? So here's the thing, right? And I've offended anyone from the UK who listens to this show. I will say that, um, the thing that surprises me the most with this band and their popularity is I just can't fathom someone absolutely all aboard the hold on, says Adam. I just I, I just can't fathom anyone being like, I adore this band. I love this mm. band. They're my favourite band. What's here? It's so... It, it, it's, there's nothing to grasp onto. There's nothing to hold on to, Craig. Yeah, there's even... What did you make of the inevitable ballad at the end of this because it's to me pitched somewhere between inevitably like a John Lennon and Elton John thing and it kind of feels a bit nearer to like Liam Gallagher solo stuff or like Harry Styles but somehow misses the mark of even those it was just so nothing it it, it was simultaneously wildly out of place because every other song is just like and it's like all right it's well it's on at least six or seven of these tracks and It was also kind of nice to hear it because it was like, oh, it's a bit different, even if it is just like, and now the ballad. But also what really annoyed me about that song was it makes this an 11 track album. Their first album is 10 tracks. Their second album is 10 tracks. And now this is 11. How dare you? Five out of 10. I'm being nice. Yeah, like, you know, we talked about Foo Fighters recently. I didn't expect another dreadful rock record to come this around is better. so quickly. This is a lot better. I don't know, to be honest. Um, there's some kind of... Idiosyncr- like idiosyncratic stuff happening with the Foo Fighters. I feel like they're actually real human beings. This is very just like AI um, rock band stuff. Four out of ten for me. All right, go listen to Royal Yellow instead. He's got a new track out. And yeah, it's a lot better great than this. Stuff. Right, uh, top five musical duos, best and worst. Craig Fitzpatrick, explain yourself. Uh, yeah, Royal Blood are a duo, mate. So let's do duos. Um, <laughs> it's, it's one that we've had in the back pocket. I think it's a really interesting one. I've always been kind of fascinated by duos, right? Like it's just, it's kind of a quite rare thing, I think. And there's that thing of like, you're not really getting the benefits of being a solo act where you can call all the shots. You're not really getting the benefits of being a full band where you have like, you know, um, fully formed kind of members that are like locked in, sharing ideas and playing on everything. You're a couple of people in a partnership, which can, which can be tough um, in whatever avenue you hope to pursue, be it, you know, music or music podcastry. Um, or a healthy relationship that you and I will never have. Yeah, very much so. So it's always kind of struck me as interesting. There's a lot of iconic duos out there. There's a lot of dreadful ones. I'm very excited about your list. So I think this is going to be fun and hopefully informative, educational. Provocative? I 
Um, I'm happy with mine. I think I've got a good list going. And yeah, it's a case of these are duos. It's not just one-offs. We did duets already. So there was a lot of that doing the rounds when you go on your research travels. This has to be an act that were, in fact, in it for the long haul or as much as they yeah, can yeah. fashion. So yeah, uh, I'm on worst. We should probably go worst first. So we finish on the best, you know, finish on a high. So uh, I'll kick it off. Top five worst musical duos. Let's go. <laughs> no, I'm joking. It's not actually Bros. I'm not doing it again. Cat among the pigeons. I think it is Bros. Uh, no, I'm giving them the week off. We 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 shooed the fuck out of them too too recently. So yes, that was my joke. Here's my actual number five, and this one unfortunately is a bit of a tragic situation. But they got to be in here. I'm sorry. Number five. Let's go. Worst musical duos. Yes, of course, it's Millie Vanilli, a German-French R&B duo by the names of Fab Morvan and Rob Pilatus, I believe. Um, an you infamous didn't hear there. <laughs> Which? <laughs> you didn't hear them there. Like, famously, like, they didn't That's appear the on thing. any of the recordings yet. Yeah, so, like, it's an infamous story. The, the track you heard there is Girl, You Know It's True, um, which came out at the end of the 80s, start of the 90s, and was a huge hit, um, but it turns out that the two lads singing weren't actually singing. It was professional singers. They weren't really up to snuff. Um, it's a it's a sad story, and it's kind of a story of of industry exploitation, really, and like way pre X Factor and shows like that when it was a bit more kind of not as out in front of the media and transparent as you might see. And essentially, like these guys were want to be musicians, you know, they wanted to to be stars, they wanted to be good, they wanted to be like famous, and they did end up being famous. They were pretty much taken advantage of uh, by a producer by the name of Frank Farian who invited them to his Frankfurt studio to listen to a demo. And they said, you know, they said, we got a call to come to his studio. We said, all right, let's do it. We were just dumb little kids. We said, let's go. <clears throat> when we got to the studio, this song was played as a demo. He asked our opinion of it and if we could sing it. We said, yeah, we can sing it. He said, beautiful. I believe you. But next week we've got shows to do. So don't worry, I'll make you into a millionaire. And basically the story as they tell it, or at least one of them, unfortunately one of them passed away quite young, which again, genuinely a tragic story um the story goes that basically like they were just thrown into the situation the song became a hit quite quickly and they apparently kept asking your man look can we just fucking sing please like can we just like drop this act we don't want to be seen as uh, as a fake or whatever and the producer just kept fobbing them off trotting them out you know selling the song eventually they did a performance where a hard drive that was providing the fake vocal skipped and gave the game away. Uh, they did an interview with MTV who, you know, kind of felt that their their grasp of rudimentary, uh, rudimentary English 
was like, well, how could these guys be the singers in the track? Like, it came out in the wash and eventually they had to admit it. It was a huge controversy, a very, very famous story in music in that regard. And they were ruined. Like, they were just completely, like, taken advantage of, ruined. Like, they made a bit of money or whatever, but, like, they became an absolute laughing stock. Uh, they tried to make a comeback with the same producer, weirdly enough, in the late 90s to be like, they even held a press conference at one stage for like a hundred journalists in which they performed in front of them to be like, look, we can sing, we can dance. Uh, you know, this was a shit situation that we were way in over our heads on and, you know, we're not evil people. But they were like, you know, it, it's, if you think of Millie Vanilli, you think of number one, this song, which is a bit of a bop. And you think about how, well, that wasn't them on the track, was it? Like, that's their Just legacy. Tarnished, yeah. That's their epitaph forever. Um <clears throat> In the case of Rob Pilatus, he passed away in 1998 at the time when they were about to try and make their comeback. It, like, it had been said that he had kind of turned to drugs and to crime when he was struggling with substance mm. abuse issues. Um, and he suffered an overdose, which was ruled accidental. But again, even that story, I've seen it reported as suicide. Like, it's, it's just a very, very murky thing. But So I'm not here to, like, fucking stamp all over them. I'm, I'm not here to be like, fuck you, Millie Vanilli. But, like, if you are talking about worst and or most kind of, you know, I suppose tarnished or looked down upon duos in music, they they are part of the story. Like it is a, it, like, like I say, it is more of a story of, of music industry exploitation and like the, the evils that come within. And you can't help but come away from like from a feeling sorry for them. I mean, like there's, there's even like, there was like a quote in the rounds from one of them that said like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm better than the Beatles. I'm the new Elvis. And then, you know, the other guy was like, he never said that. Like that was completely like misquoted. And, you know, we, yeah. we weren't these monsters. So yeah, it's a weird one to kick off with, but I didn't want to make it my fucking number one or anything because I have no condemnation for these guys. It's a fascinating I, story, but a very, I think very they had sad to be in one. There. And yeah, like Millie Vanilli is just like, it just became a punchline in and of itself. Um, and yeah, that kind of age old story of, the performers, the kind of hapless performers up front getting it in the neck. We talked about that kind of Oscar um, disaster years back with Rob Lowe and like Snow White doing a duet thing. And it was just like, obviously, the performer who knew nothing about it, like in the kind of weeks leading up to it, got it kind of in the neck. She was just like, it was the end of her career. She kind of just left Hollywood directly after that. And like, you know, she went back to kind of doing local theatre and had got a half decent story out of it. But like everyone kind of around it, all the producers that had the great idea just kind of went about their business. So yeah, sad stuff. I remember reading about them previously and it was kind of a sweet story as well. Just their friendship and like they, you know, were into kind of pop and dance. And I think they met at like a kind of dance class or seminar or something. And they bonded over the fact they were kind of like living in Europe and both kind of black and just felt like outsiders and they had each other and they just got taken advantage of. So for sure, a sad story. Uh, I'm sure you <laughs> lighten the mood as we go on. I promise but, uh, to. I'll, bring, I it promise to, I'll yeah. bring it up a notch now um, with my number five, which is going to be a bit obvious, uh, a bit boring with my first pick, which these guys would likely be outraged at. And Time. 
Pet Shop Boys, they had to be in there uh, being boring from behaviour um, from the middle of their you know, self-described imperial phase, 1990 and it's interesting you to kind of start with Millie Vanilli who were thrown around by the pop industry and Pet Shop Boys who really just took it by the scruff of the neck I guess and you know um, just remade pop music in their own image and did subversive stuff with it and have had such a kind of long career and uh, they definitely had to feature even if it is just number five and talking previously about iconic duos I mean just as a pair they're great together Neil Tennant and um, Chris Lowe you've got the kind of cerebral gregarious gangly one you've got the kind of quiet grumpy but like club addicted one as well uh, who usually wears shades I mean you think of that like cover of actually just in black tie is an incredible look um i think even a couple of years ago they put out like a, a christmas card for their fan base and it was just two snowmen uh like kind of nondescript snowmen but was one was wearing uh shades so it was just like oh of course that's pet shop boys um they formed in 1981 they met in an electronic shop just started talking about synthesizers off the king's road and uh became kind of thick as thieves neil tennant um of course was working as a smash hits music journalist at the time and just kind of had these i guess delusions of grandeur at the time and thought he could make his own pop music and with low he very much could and the way they kind of split things up is very much like I think Chris is seen as like the high energy guy, the up-tempo kind of guy who brings in the bangers and the lasers and he does a lot of just the music full stop. And then Neil is kind of the thoughtful, sadder one who gets in all the kind of literary references. Um, they've talked about how that isn't quite true. Obviously, there's kind of a, a lot of kind of back and forth and, you know, Lowe's penned. Like, I think he wrote the the line, I've got the brains, you've got the looks, let's make lots of money, which is like... On one level, satire at like Thatcher and Reagan and yuppies, but also kind of about them and their mission statement. And they just pulled it off beautifully. And it's an example of how the different layers uh, they bring to pop music work so well. But yeah, you can't imagine one of them standing alone and being as powerful a force in pop without the other. And yeah. Uh, Regular guests guests regular uh, (laughs) figures on the show to some degree and yeah maybe someday who knows um yeah love them absolutely love them music is better off for having them and you know if you're to recommend one album i'd probably go electric from 2013 even though it's not one of the classics but it's one that i i love from a modern great fun modern era what would you recommend if someone's listening it was down easy a bit like royal blood (laughs) (laughs) it's better than that i love behavior which we just heard uh, a bit of there which is um more contemplative i guess which is when they started doing a lot a lot of thoughtful icy ballads and it's lots of like analog synths as well so it doesn't it doesn't sound as dated as a, a lot of the kind of pop music in general from around that time actually it's great please is great and yeah they've they, you know their hit rates remarkably strong so compilations are also a good way to go because they are first and foremost just a kind of pop machine i think they're the best-selling uk duo of all time they've had something like approaching 50 maybe 44 45 top 40 uh hits and yeah still going strong and one of the acts that i would love to see live like in in terms of getting back to gigs starting off with pet shop boys would be dream scenario for me well let's hope that happens um i must say not surprised to see them here but surprised to see them first out of the deck i mean i i'll put i'll put some money on your number one but these guys could have been it but uh do you want to call it now we'll see what happens do you want me to like do i will i say it now Go ahead, yeah. Okay, it's and we'll uh, just move on. You say uh, it and then move uh, on to your number four. I don't so want to don't give spoil it for the listener. Like, like, All right, we'll we'll wait for the ge- the guess. I think we need to do it now because it'll be too obvious later on. 
Okay, your number one is Outcast, but we'll get there. My number four on the worst musical duos. Um, here, brace yourself, listener, for a lively top of the pops performance of one of the worst songs of all time. Uh, hey, oh, get your hands ready. I said I'm Luke on five and my dad's Bruce Lee Drives me round in his JCB I'm Luke on five and my dad's Bruce Lee Drives me round and we're holding up the bagpipes Whoa! Me and my dad having a top laugh Whoa! And I'm sitting on the toolbox Whoa! And I'm so glad I'm not in school bus So glad I'm not in school your hands ready it's niz loppy with jcb having a top laugh with, with me da jcb or jcb song as it's also known um that's them on top of the pops and i think fern cotton and someone else did like this hilarious intro where they're like these boys made an incredible song about a jcb but of course it's about more than that craig it's about emotion um, be about I, massey ferguson yeah Oh, I sorry, will say, <laughs> well, yeah, and Nisloppy are an act from uh, the UK formed in Royal Leamington Spa, Warwickshire by Luke and Cannon uh, on vocals, guitar and Bearon and John Parker on double bass, human beatbox and backing vocals. Very eclectic. Um, this was a big song in, I want to say, 2005, possibly. I, I remember during my extra days and just wanting to fucking slash my wrists all over the customers whenever this would come on. Um, essentially, it's just complete garbage. I, I will say that there is, you know, a sad backstory to a degree, you know, and like, we'll get that oh, out of the God. way. It's not quite Millie Vanilli bad, but it's like, and I promise from this point on, it's, it's, it's just me laughing at things. But like, the song is about Luke and Cannon talking about when he was a child and he was struggling with dyslexia and he would escape from that whole tough environment in school to hang out with his dad, you know, and like bond with him. And that's great. And look, it's always great when an artist can dig deep into their struggles and kind of write about it and be honest and be candid and find catharsis. And also I'm all here for, you know, a, a touching, you know, my dad's great song as well. All great. But that doesn't mean that what you actually made was any good whatsoever. Any good, yeah. This song is just... I'm shocked by it. I, I, I remain shocked by it. It was first released um, quietly and went to something like number 160 in the UK singles chart, but then they re-released it in December of that year, months later, and it went to fucking number one. Um, it was covered by X Factor people. Dermot O'Leary gave it the track extensive airplay on his radio Dermot O'Leary has a lot to answer for. So much to answer for. That guy has to be first against the wall when the revolution comes. Oh, he is, yeah. I'm um, <laughs> literally thinking of that phrase, but I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't say this, we'll end up on some list. <laughs> nah, listen, he's he's committed a lot of musical crimes and, you know, okay, that that's his uh, his thing, isn't it? Excellent. Yeah. So this is just a terrible Irish song. Irishman, though. Oh, he is, yeah. Um, this is, well, with a name like that, you know, uh, it's it's just a horrific song. Like, it's, it's, it's a terrible one-hit wonder. It did very, very well. I, I just find it to be just, it also, like, really paved the way for Ed Sheeran, Ed who, Sheeran. who was a guitar Just, tech yeah. for the band, I believe, for a while. And also <sighs> Passenger. Like, you're not getting Passenger without this, I don't think. It's just so soppy, so twee, so maudlin. Just so... Like, even, like, listening to it is tough. It's so low in the mix and just so half energy i mean i'm all for you know a bit of fucking sad lad music on occasion but this is no this is no frank ocean craig it's a certain brand of a particularly um i guess english brand of insipid not to get all like xenophobic or anything but it kind of reminds me a little bit of i think it was the dilmore sketch where he's talking about how 
when you're speaking to English people at times, it sounds like they're being both condescending and also like about to die, like about <laughs> to pass away. You know what I mean? Just that kind of voice. It's like, I'm about to fall over. And yeah, it's just, it's the way it's sang. It's, oh God. And you know, the kind of acts that have a bear on and then like, occasionally, I guess, uh, like the bear on isn't giving them enough oomph. So they break out the human beatboxing. It's terrible, terrible stuff. There's right, also well. Before we do, I, I think the tra- I, I think like Nizlopi, and I think they're named after. If this is right, I read that like they're named after a Hungarian girl that the singer Luke and Cannon had a crush on at school. That's fucked up behavior. Yeah, it's a bit weird. Um, Nizlopi is a good kind of maybe just that that inspired it, and it sounds kind of I don't know. It's one of those words you can just put any meaning onto, like I will rubbish say, or shit <laughs> <laughs> or trash, radioactive waste. Uh, I will say th- this would be on like now. That's what I call Dave's going to hell music. You know, if I could pick like ten to twenty songs, an ironclad compilation of just like Express Elevator to Hell. This is in there for sure. Easily, easily makes the ten or twenty. That's got to be a playlist for the patrons, man. Seriously, I'll work on it. You'll get Natasha Bedingfield in there as well. Don't worry. <laughs> All right, um, let's go for my number four. A uh, couple of cult heroes. Yeah, it's Sparks, the brothers male, Ron and Russell. Um, and the song is I Can't Believe That You Would Fall For All The Crap In This Song, which is fantastic and could be applied to a lot of songs, maybe a couple we've just heard. Uh, it's from 2008, that one, which is um, it's the album Exotic Creatures from Of The Deep, I believe, and is a testament to their longevity. They've been releasing stuff or, you know, making music together since 1967, and they're still genuinely good. Uh, there's been no acrimonious splits. They got on really well um they were kind of raised in i think they're from like they're from pretty much like they're pure la guys who were there when like at the whiskey go-go when they were really young just seeing like led zeppelin roll into town or maybe even the doors but every kind of big 60s band and they were just totally enamored and thought we want to do weird rock pop music ourselves um actually do you know what to be honest they probably thought we just want to do brilliant rock pop music and it became weird because they're kind of weird guys um and everything is slightly sardonic and caustic and hilarious and inventive and they've gone from like glam to like classical compositions to working with Giorgio Moroder in the late 70s um and just yeah giving us some of his best work they were just like a match made in heaven um that album being number one in heaven and yeah, yeah, I kind of, I, they're I similar, I guess, in a way to Pet Shop Boys in terms of how subversive they are. Um, they might have a bit more range, actually. I think they're way more slept on, obviously. They haven't had anything like that level of success. Uh, you know, some people still see them as a bit of a joke as well, just from like, This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Both of Us was like their big song and it was seen as kind of a novelty song, even though it was hugely musically complex and just generally a great song. But um They've become one of those underground acts that are still going and just inspired, like, like Joy Division have talked about how when they were doing Love Will Tear Us Apart, um, they were just listening to 
number one song in heaven over and over again they were so influenced by that Johnny Myers said like I think he kind of pinpointed it more than anyone when he said there's nothing better than like a commerciality cross with like an interesting mind and that's I think what you have with Sparks and you know Joey Ramone Bjork just absolutely adores them Kurt Cobain was a huge fan and it's interesting getting into Sparks because it's such a kind of it's a huge back catalogue. The quality is insane bar like a bit of a dip in the 80s where they were just kind of like trying to chase a few trends. But it's it's such a surprise that like for so long, it's, I probably got into them about seven or eight years ago and I hadn't really known of them um, apart from one or two of the minor hits. And when you delve in a little bit to the likes of Come On In My House, you're just like, how did I not know about this stuff sooner? It's like, I've been lied to all this time. It's like when you realise that politicians are just lying pricks. Do you know what I mean? It's just like sorry, a, an earth-shattering event. Do you know what I mean? It's just like the, uh, who, the sorry, scales who, what, fall from your eyes and you're what? like, what? This is a horrible, brutish world. I can't buy a house, but I can listen to Sparks. I, I, I don't know if we, I, I want that kind of corrosive language on the show, Craig. Rhetoric. Um, Dangerous rhetoric. rhetoric. Uh, what's the song you played? When did that come out? That's 2008. So that's what I'm saying. Like, still, you know, churning out brilliant stuff. Um, they released an album last year, which I actually haven't spent a huge amount of time with. It sounded good, got great notices. Um, but their album Hippopotamus, I think, was 2017. And that was like something like that's in their top five records. Uh, their initial kind of golden age run was probably. 73 to 75 although the marauder album 79 they just have classics scattered throughout you know see i wanted to slag off matt bellamy there by saying he must have heard that and been like i'll have a career but i guess it was right. post <laughs> supermassive black hole it's a great tune though um they've also are you aware of this greg they've written uh, a film which is coming out in the summer a film called Annette. There's a trailer out for it now, starring Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard, directed by Leo Carax. Uh, it's, it's it's a musical. It's a musical, right? yeah, a dark yeah. looking musical. And they came up with the story and the music and the screenplay. This is their thing, and it looks amazing. So yeah, they seem to be no it end will to their be talents. amazing. It's fucking sparks. Like, do you know what I mean? They're not going to just half ass it. They've got like this whole interior universe good to go. Um, they're very kind of literate and cinematically minded as well. I think this could be great. Yeah, very see, exciting. See, this is this is another ego top five where like Craig gets to like you know bring about just pluck from the heavens, really. You know, like have in- intellectual pop and heartfelt stories, just interesting people, I guess. Whereas I, on the other side of the coin, get to bring back another show favorite. Let's do it. You needed me You needed me You needed me You needed me <laughs> Alright lads, enough with the strings, Jesus Wah 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 Fucking hell Do you know who this is, Craig? No, I'm not sure, but Jesus Christ. Yeah, number, I just got a glimpse of eternity as well, and it doesn't look good. It's number, number three for me. It's boys' life. It's Brian McFadden and Keith Duffy, mate. <laughs> the lads. They're such distinctive voices, yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful Iconic. stuff. Boys' life. Uh, the fucking available for corporate or private bookings and coming to a local town hall near you this autumn if you're residing Our in the UK. Garden. 
This is the malnourished cash cow that is Boys Life. Although I was on their their merchandise page and they got face masks going, so at least they are tuning into the current moment. Um, they formed they formed in 2016. Um, Brian McFadden, Keith Duffy, you know, like great hit the road. Their website describes them as a supergroup. Is that fair? Yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> Come on, Craig, some enthusiasm for like this is like a national Super treasure group. of an act. Um, the track that they played there was You Needed Me it was of course a cover that's all they do is covers they put out an album in 2020 and it's all covers uh, they mostly will play th- those kind of gigs there's actually some quotes here from Keith Duffy in 2017 speaking to the Evening Herald he said by default or by accident we have fallen into a corporate market and the corporate work that's coming in is fantastic it's great we're getting to travel and getting to work together myself and Brian what are they just catering pals. events now <laughs> no one will book them to perform so they're just running a catering company <laughs> Myself and Brian have always been pals. We don't take anything too seriously. I think, yeah, Brian like their music quite careers. A lot of things quite seriously. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, uh, we're doing gigs for international terrorism. <laughs> we're doing gigs for cruise lines for Euro Disney. It's very busy. We're going to keep going for as long as people want to see us. Keith Duffy also said that the boys on the Westlife lads would have wanted to join, but he didn't want them, and there was actually a bit of friction, which we can hear now in a clip from the Late Late Show. Here's Boys Life chatting to Ryan Tuberty. What about Keen today? Yeah, Keen Egan was saying that uh, he, he's not. He, he said, a member of Westlife who left the band after four years decides to use half the name for whatever it is they're doing. <laughs> I certainly was scratching my head oh, when I saw that. A saucer of milk for Keen, please. <laughs> um, well, I was actually in Westlife for a lot longer than four years, but Matt's was never Keen's thing, in fairness. Um, <laughs> you know what? It's saucer of milk for Brian. You know what it's like. You know, he's like he's probably on radio, people asking about yeah. it. I think a lot of people probably did get confused because some some people did report that like we were doing a MacBuster, yeah, as you yeah, said, yeah, yeah. but but it was different. You know, no, this was from this morning, so he knows what you're doing. He said, from the perspective of someone who spent 15 years in Westlife, it was really aggravating and it was really unfair on the fans. How is it unfair on the fans? You know what he does, what he thinks. Well, look, listen, at the end of the day, myself and Brian are after teaming up to do a show to entertain people, to talk about 20 years of being in the business and have a good time. Regardless of what everyone else thinks. You know, it's... We got the theme tune. Brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Music is far more sophisticated than anything (laughs) these chances will do. Have you ever looked up any clip from The Late Late Show on YouTube? They always have the most weirdly abrupt cut-offs. Yeah, and then you just have Tuberty smirking at you, like a static shot. And that music, yeah. yeah. And it could be someone being like... and then Ryan, my three children died. Did it? Better. It's yeah, just so yeah, fucking yeah. weird. It's so I don't know who edits them, but like, it has to be an inside joke. Speaking of inside jokes, boys' life. I mean, yeah. Look, listen. What and can outside you say? jokes. They're <laughs> they're just like they're nothing, right? They like like they're just they exist to take advantage of impressionable fans who can't let it go. Um, Brian McFadden has nothing else going on. I can't imagine. Uh, Keith Duffy for all his you know caterwauling. Boys on would, of course, reform in 2018 for their 25th anniversary and will almost certainly do it again in 2024 for their 30th. Brian, however, remains our greatest pop music exile renegade. Uh, it's just two lads from two shit boy bands doing, like, really shit covers. But not and, like, even, like, like leading lights of those groups. Do you know what I mean? It's really just the absolute dregs getting together. It's like, it's like a, you know, a pub collecting all the dregs and trying to get one point out of it and not quite managing it. It's... I'm actually surprised they got away with that name, to be honest. Like, doesn't that seem like it might be some infringement? I'm sure they've got it cleared and it's all grand, but it does seem like it's very misleading. And But it is the kind of thing where, like, again, you go onto their website, like, their slickly designed website, and it's just, uh, they're just, like, the kind of act you book for a fucking hen party, right? I mean, like, like this is not... But this is not okay. This is not good. I, I, I think they're, st- yeah, they're still going. They have tour dates coming up in the UK. It's just baffling to me. 
It's interesting to me that they seemed like the, of their respective boy bands, the ones most likely back in the day to like maybe do a Robbie Williams. Do you know what I mean? So Robbie Williams leaves his group. <clears throat> Cheeky Chappy, the kind of renegade one, the one that wasn't sticking around. Uh, not to everyone's taste, but he stumbles into like a quite, <laughs> um, you know, very successful pop career, has a couple of great hits um, and just does far better and take that we're doing for years before the Reformation. And I, I remember people at the time being like, do you know what? Actually, Keith will be, Keith's going to be the one. He's the dark horse. He's going to like have this amazing solo career. He got some like decent acting work. He had an okay kind of career in other fields. Then people said the same thing about Brian McFadden leaving Westlife. Like, oh yeah, he's going to be the one. He's got something. And just, yeah, chancers. I'll say it again. Absolute spoofers. Okay, let's um, get some whiplash from the difference in musical quality. <laughs> it's about damn time i can't believe it's finally happened it's Take happened. your time on this one <laughs> my old school taken from countdown to ecstasy um this is actually <laughs> from when they were still kind of a band right so there's a bit of finagling here um actually sparks kind of started as a band as well and then lost members until it was a duo and the same happened with steely dan where by the mid 70s it was clear that it was just donald fagan and walter becker uh the late great walter becker um so yeah i was wondering about like eligibility um and i thought then of a t-shirt i've seen david tapley and zara hederman sporting which is don and walt as the two characters on the cover of sonic youth school and i was just like yes a very iconic duo and kind of musically as close to like a Stan Lee and Jack Kirby as, as you're going to get. Like they're part Cavalier and Clay, part like Backrack and David. And yeah, I think they're a bit Marmite for some people for sure. And I think they can seem a bit daunting. They're, the way I get into it is, you know, a lot of it can seem like quite smooth jazz. There are these two kind of like smart arse New York hipsters, like old school hipsters that were just like completely obsessed with jazz, R&B headed for LA to have a, have a career as kind of writers together and just got lost in this kind of sea of like Los Angeles plastic bullshit and session musicians that were just kind of in it for the cash and cocaine and they build up this career just like bridging the gap between those two worlds and beating all these kind of dreadful soft rockers at their own game and making like just superlative kind of like easy listening stuff that had this like just incredible lyrical dexterity these songs about kind of like epic losers this real seediness with this like kind of next level sheen and next level playing to it and the two of them together are great like even if you don't like the music they're incredible in interviews together they're just totally hilarious um walter becker passed away a couple of years ago to bring things down once again uh i was listening to um donald fagan's rolling stone interview from a, a year or two ago as well just talking about it and like the kick off talking about um walter's passing and 
even the way he kind of broaches it, like this kind of decades long friendship and he's talking about, yeah, it's been a bit stormy, you know, since my, my partner passed on and he kind of goes, you know, life goes on and his voice completely cracks and he's kind of saying, well, you're really starting to show off with a bang here and he's just kind of back into it. But he says himself, like, really just, you know, um, he's still turning away and he said, I'd prefer to just call it Don Fagan and the Steely Dan band or something because to me, Steely Dan was just me and Walter really. It was like a concept we had together and yeah, met at Bard College. Um, I think Don like overheard uh, Walt playing guitar and just like was instantly in love with him before he even saw him and just like introduced himself to Becker and was like, do you like jazz? And they were just like friends from that point on and a run of classic albums that's right up there with Prince, Bowie, you know, those 70 albums are just 1970s, I should say. They didn't release really seven, 70 albums, but um, <laughs> <laughs> those 70 albums, Dave, Asia stop what you're doing. is absolutely perfect in and of itself. And yeah, I can't like, I can't shout about them enough. They're just great. Try and get into them. Everyone listening to this because it will change your life. And it's a hard one to kind of like, I'm not one that's like into studio, like, immaculate craziness or production values or anything like that but i think what they do is they took it as far as you can so that the music has this kind of bizarre like almost transcendent feel that just like seeps into you and there are these again two kind of oddballs outsiders that are taking on these kind of slick la acts at their own game and just doing it far far better with more more heart and kind of you know content and stuff and yeah it just becomes as opposed to like music by committee, it's the total opposite where there are these kind of crazy talented two-headed, uh, this two-headed beast that's like beyond anything a singular artist could achieve, I think. So, um, you know, maybe people should probably listen to The Dan more than other acts. I mean, for example, my number two this week in the Worst Duo's Corner, this track... I believe has over 2.6 billion views on YouTube and just as uh, just the same number of listens on Spotify. And I couldn't pick these fuckers out of a lineup, but here we go. <laughs> so baby, pull me closer in the backseat of your rover that I know you can't afford. Bite that tattoo on your shoulder. Pull the sheets right off the corner of the mattress that you stole from your roommate back in Boulder. We ain't never getting older. Very much enjoyed Adams, Sonic Architect Adams, brow furrowing Confused. and eyes closing, just complete confusion on his face. And, you know, he's a music producer, which I, I'm glad that was his reaction because it does feel like you're being assaulted there at the end by the Chainsmokers. The song is called Closer. Did you know who that was, Craig? Yeah, it's that unmistakable death sound, the death rattle of pop music. <laughs> It kind of is, really. Um, and, like, it's so funny, as always. My favourite corner of the internet, the YouTube comment section. Pretty much everything I always do in the worst yields. People who are like, who's here in 2021? The comments under this one. Oh, the amount of people who are like, oh, I just want it back, man. You know, like, my life was like this, and now it isn't. And, like, they like a simpler time. What, five years ago? Like, <laughs> pandemic or no? What the fuck are you talking about? It's just the most generic, the most nothing. Uh, this is a duo from Amer- from America, uh, a DJ and production duo consisting of Alexander Alex Paul and Andrew Drew Taggart. Uh, I believe they were in the news uh, last year for doing a very socially undistanced concert that 
uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo gave out to them for. Um, they're, they're massive. Uh, as recently as uh, 2019, the Forbes 2019 list of highest paid celebrities, the Chainsmokers, dethroned Calvin Harris after six years as the world's highest paid DJs. And it's just, it's just nothing. Uh, like uh, One of them has described their music as blurring the lines between indie, pop music, dance music, and hip-hop. They've cited Pharrell Williams, Linkin Park, and Dead Mouse as influences. As music Acts. they listen to. <laughs> better music <laughs> yeah. that they listen to. <laughs> well, it, it, it gets better. Acts who have inspired the Chainsmokers' songs include Blink-182, Taken Back Sunday, Taylor Swift, Max Martin, The XX, Beach House, and Explosions <laughs> in the Sky. Yeah, I heard Mozart, all those. Beethoven. <laughs> <laughs> Snoop Dogg. You know, oh. like, why not? Just throw everything everybody in steely done um they're just they're just they're just even like their name the chain smokers they were asked uh by an abc news nightline reporter which (laughs) what what did that sound like and they said well you know i was in college just smoking weed all the time and that web domain was open i didn't have to have any underscores and then the other guy was like it's just a name and they're just a nothing like they're this is the most content as music act going they had that terrible terrible song with chris martin a while ago someone Um, associated with this show enjoyed that song was it dahi (laughs) i don't want to put that on dahi i don't want to put it on cullum Raise your hand, Adam. <laughs> if it's we, you. We'll reveal. Uh, we'll reveal next week because I'll have a think about it. But I, I remember someone being like, that's actually all right. And it's not all right. Was it me? Was I having a moment? I don't know. Like a, I don't know. Weird. I remember reviewing it at one of our live shows. So maybe we're all just having a moment and it seemed fine at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Which is someone just like this. As well, we know. I think it's called. I, I don't have a lot to say about these guys because there isn't a lot to say. I think they are kind of um, the death of music in a way. I, I think it's just, it's irredeemable. Um, it's just, it's nothing. It's, it's, it's YouTube lyric videos and just like it's it's just it's not i'm 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 on the edge here craig i know i know i don't it's not music i said it let's get back to some music here's my runner up Yeah, one of the best songs of all time there. Coming in at number two, it's Outcast, Bombs Over Baghdad uh, from Stankonia. I am shocked. shocked. <laughs> what a song, though. What a song. I know. Um, one of the greatest hip-hop acts of all time, for sure. What a duo as well. Yeah, they were there thereabouts. I mean, to be honest, the ordering of this list... Um, I don't know. Like it might change next week. Although it's locked in, and so I shouldn't be questioning um, the list. Let's never question the list. But yeah, I mean, incredible. And the the, the two of them are just, you know, self styled coolest motorfunkers on the planet. Um, they've done so much together. Just the kind of melting pot of influences they put into the early records in the nineties were insane. I think they pushed hip hop in a really interesting direction. They were vital, I think, for for the genre. Uh, like when. Outcast arrived from the south when east and west has kind of dominated for so long and it's becoming a bit stale. 
They're just doing something completely different, kaleidoscopic, taking in a huge array of influences. And I think you get like one of the most fertile periods in hip hop's history at that point. I think it's the equivalent of like when rock got to the late 60s and just the kind of uh, the horizons and the vistas were completely expanded. I think Outkast did that for the music. I think they mixed the kind of masculine energy with the feminine as well from Dre. And I think they made hip hop. Um, kind of palatable to a wider audience as well for better or worse and you know whilst also being quite experimental and daring at the same time and I think Andre probably gets most of the plot at Sea Stace right like he's seen as one of the best rappers of all time the fact he doesn't release stuff that often or he just drops kind of guest verses that happen to be like the best verses of that year um just kind of means people have this constant conversation of like, is he the most underrated rapper of all time? He's become the Paul Scholes of hip hop, I think, right? Where he's now like in everyone's top five. Big Boy's kind of slept on. And I think Big Boy's Ego and Zandine Zidane have endless great things to say about him, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. I think Big Boy's kind of just as talented. He's a tremendous rapper, uh, hugely influential. You could probably hear his own influences a bit more than Andre, though, where he's just like Andre's a flamboyant alien. I love the fact that. Big Boy probably ties them to G-Funk era, but that mix was so great. And I love how you look back at like promo shots of them back in the day and they're in these ridiculous colourful outfits that were clearly picked by Andre. And Big Boy was just like, I'm going to go along with it. He's my mate since high school and he's got a plan and we're going to make it work together. And there's a real generosity between the two of them, I think. Um, But huge amount of differences, which I think obviously meant that they split up, uh, like it just couldn't, the centre couldn't hold, but gave us some really interesting fusion music. Yeah, outstanding. Um, Remember Electric Picnic, Craig, when I brought you to the horrors and you were concerned about seeing Outcast on the main stage in time, and I believe you ran. I ran. Beautiful (laughs) 80s movie style and you got there just in time as it began. Is that how it worked? It was just a yeah, wonderful sight. just in time for a B.O.B. And I think we had to leave early as well, but that was enough for me. I was in raptures, Dave. Oh, yeah, that was the hot press days when there was a bus going. It wasn't that weird. Like, Craig, it wasn't half an area. And Craig oh, it was wasn't like, I choice. can't take no. anymore. I had no, yeah, no. no way of, yeah. A phenomenal act. I knew they'd be on your list. I thought they'd be your number one. I apologize. We're about to get to my number okay. one now, the worst duos. Do you want to guess at my worst number one? Would you like to guess at this? I, I feel like you're going to go with Jedward. Okay, that's my guess. Uh, it is, right, it is. I will say this: you've interviewed at least one of them. Hit the music, Adam. They call me Hell. They call me Stacy. They call me Hell. They call me Jane. I want to just take this moment to uh, uh, apologies to the listeners. I want to take this moment to apologize to everyone listening to that because I feel like you'd probably have a better time pouring drain cleaner into your ears than you would listening to the Ting Tings. The song is, of course, that's not my name. Katie White and Jules DiMartino, who Craig interviewed before. Um, I really do think that the Ting Tings are one of like just the most tragic cases, like like an argument for anti-music. I think that everyone involved in this project should probably be in prison. I think it's a really, really bad time in general. And I know I'm hyperbolic. I know I'd say like provocative knowing things, but I really, really do find the Ting Tings to be genuinely like a crime, a musical crime. And I think that they were the the poster boy and girl for a really horrible, horrible p- 
period of UK music in particular and kind of enemy sponsored shit. Uh, the most obnoxious, the smuggest, the most nothing. I'm I can't fathom their success. I can't get over it. I this song is nails on a chalkboard. This song is genuinely like I, I saw someone. I forget what they're referring to, but I saw someone this week saying that like they'd rather stick a, a toothpick under their big toenail and kick a fucking wall. And I'm like, yeah, no, uh, that that would genuinely be more edifying and better for you than being forced to listen to this absolute wreck. They've had four albums. They were big in the US. They were massive for a time. This was, of course, a number one song. I never understood it, and I never will. And I think that genuinely uh, people who worked on this should have been made work somewhere else for the rest of their life. They, they shouldn't be allowed to work in music. It's it's a travesty. It's a tragedy. And I hate it so fucking much. Craig Fitzpatrick. I can understand why it happened. Um, because, you know, people have terrible impulses. And it sounds like all their stuff, like it was recorded in the changing rooms of a top man around this era. It's just dreadful, but it's so very of that moment. Um I remember when they first came out, the first couple of songs, critics were kind of like, wow, this is actually really thought-provoking and it's so minimalist and like so brittle and so um, tacky almost. Like I remember people being like, oh, some like art project where it's just really vacuous for the sake of being vacuous. It wasn't. Um, Smog is kind of the word for it as well. It's deeply irritating music. Um, and yeah, I interviewed um, Jules DiMartino a few years later. He was raging about... Uh, record company deals and stuff that had happened to him in the interim um he did sound it was a phoner he sounded like a man that was wearing sunglasses as he did the phoner uh, that's all i'll say about it he was a perfectly fine individual but um he'd lot to say about how hard done by they'd been um when he should have been talking about how lucky they were to get any success to begin with and fair play to them but um yeah i never need to hear the thinkings again after this episode and they had major success. They, they were on, like they're on Jules Holland. They're on Saturday Night Live. They, I, I believe, they were, were they nominated for a Grammy or something. They think they won an Ivor Novello. I think. And I mean, <laughs> Not also the like Novello. And I know. I mean, calling the most sacred institution into question like that. I don't like it. Um, but you look at some other stuff. You look at like some of the kind of the details, and it's just so funny. Like, um, they were the opening slot act on the 2008 Shockwaves Enemy Awards tour, performing with the Cribs. Jolene and the Jing Jang John and Does It Offend You? Yeah. So it's like, it's very of its time kind of stuff. You know, they're on tours with the Fratellis, Alphabet, all that kind of stuff. I mean, the Cribs, I guess, survived this era, but a lot of people didn't. PTSD, I'd imagine. <laughs> including my own soul. I just, I can't. I, 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 I can't. I'm broken by this. It really upset me having to listen to even 30 seconds of this song this week. So, yeah. Okay. Let's That's go to done. my Bye. number one. And, um... <laughs> Just like to, to kind of soothe you, Dave, imagine around about this time, somewhere else, slightly kind of adjacent, a teenage Craig is enjoying slightly better music. And yeah, this is me conceding to teenage Craig here. Um, this is my number one. And I think never have a, a, a duo had a better kind of philosophy for why they are a duo. So they're my number one. Here you go. White Stripes there, uh, Dead Leaves and the Dirty Ground uh, from White Blood Cells, 2001-ish, and the benefits of stripping things back. And um, 
yeah, they're a kind of beautiful, if slightly twisted amalgamation of songs of innocence and authenticity, and but it's wrapped up in this kind of pretty pretentious art movement structure thing where it's like full on showbiz and theatricality and um, yeah, a band with genuinely one of my favorite drummers and some other dudes. Uh, I remember like 13 year old me getting into the White Stripes and being like, oh my God, what is it? Like the audacity of this. Where's the bass? What? You can, <laughs> you can be a two piece in rock and roll. Your head must have exploded when you, uh, when you came across Keen, I presume. Yeah. Oh my God. That was just too much. Actually, that was a step too far. Um, it was in poor taste. <laughs> a cautionary tale. <laughs> and if, you know, a few years later when they rolled out the marimba on Get Behind Me Satan, I was like, oh my God, I can actually listen to a marimba and enjoy it. I need to get back into Radiohead. So, yeah, interesting story, of course. Jack White and Meg White um, presented as siblings, um, but actually uh, a divorced couple who kind of started this band in the mid to late 90s when Garage Rock wasn't really doing much uh, business. Jack White was doing a lot of business in his upholstery. Um, <laughs> he had an upholstery business that he was kind of working at. Um third man upholsters i think something like that but he poured all his creativity into the music he got his ex-wife on board and they just had something like i think we often talk in the show about like when when we get a kind of dreadful release from a long-standing artist we talk about how occasionally you start doubting yourself and going was the early stuff even good and i think the case for the white stripes as an incredible duo is listening to jack white's solo output where every time he releases a new album and the first couple of ones were perfectly fine um boarding house reach i think is very experimental and weird and not good at all and you know his various side projects which just lack so much i am more and more convinced of the genius of the white stripes i think he totally needed the constraints and i think he totally needed meg and I partially pick the White Stripes because Meg White got such a tremendously hard time when they were just, I'm sure you heard all those discussions back in the day, Dave, where it was just like, oh, if they got a decent drummer in, oh, they'd be amazing. But you, you don't get it. It's all about simplicity. They don't need Dave Grohl. They need Meg White. And uh, I think we had this quote on the show before, but it was quite a revealing one of like Jack White talking about uh, the relationship he had with Meg and basically saying that revealing quite a lot about himself and we kind of know now that he can be a bit of a a pain in the neck I think in his personal life and he's um, quick to anger and stuff like that he's talked about Meg as being one of those people who won't high five me when I get the touchdown she viewed uh, she viewed me that way of like oh big deal Uh, you did it so what almost every single moment of the White Stripes was like that we'd be working in the studio and something amazing would happen and I'm like damn we just broke into a new world right there and Meg's sitting in silence I suggest that silence is very powerful and he fucking needed that. (laughs) Um, I never heard that quote before. That's interesting. Uh, That's incredible mental control on behalf of Meg White. I can't imagine what it must have been like to be there as he's, you know, finding finding new realms. Um, An act I've never... Yeah. um, (coughs) Excuse me. An act I've never fully understood, I think, is probably the better way of putting it. I did rebel against this band i did rebel against meg white again i would have been learning drums around this time and i was obviously very into like more complex stuff that i could never play and so i probably had a bit of resentment you know you grow you make mistakes she is fantastic probably the most interesting thing here the production was always beautiful right yeah 
Um, and you know, obviously Jack White gets in the neck about that thing of just like keeping it authentic and just having everything on analog and blah blah blah. But you can really hear it in the sound. There was a lot of similar bands around at the time, a lot of landfill stuff, and just none of it really compares to the quality of these guys. It doesn't really sound dated. He achieved what he set out to. Um, it's kind of timeless. And yeah, like, do you know what? I don't listen to them a huge amount anymore. Um, I think as a movement and as a moment, they kind of had their impact and they kind of served their purpose. But dipping back into them last week or so, it's just like those records still hold up. And you could make the case, if you were really pretentious, that... The debut album, which kind of did no business, it was like, you know, their manifesto was right there, the sound was right there, the energy was incredible. They could have broken up after that one, and I'm glad they didn't, but um, yeah, they just captured something magical for a couple of years at least. Do you hate that Seven Nation Army became a football song? Yeah, to be honest, like, I'm glad something finally replaced uh, (laughs) Gary Glitter and the likes, and, you know, it could have been the Fratellis, um, so... I think they're Lesser also in there. a lot of evils, yeah. It, but I really did love that song. Like I used to play that a lot, and I can never really hear it again. It's just completely ruined through ubiquity. But um, I'm sure he's pleased with it. <laughs> Made him a multi-millionaire many times over. Well, something that I guess hasn't been ruined through ubiquity, something I do take a lot of satisfaction from, and something that has not made me a millionaire, is my friendship with Craig Fitzpatrick. The real (laughs) best duo. (laughs) (laughs) The real best duo, of course, is... Maybe the best duo was the duo you listened to along the way. Is that what you're saying? Precisely. But also, if you expand that to a power trio and bring our wonderful sonic architect Adam Shanahan into the mix... Then worlds can just become even even greater universes, which is to say that's no encore for this week, listener. Thank you so so much for your attention. As always, patreon.com slash no encore if you want to help support the show. Uh, next week, I don't know what we're doing, but I'll have had a haircut. So look for me to be feeling. Paratrios? <laughs> I'm excited for <laughs> the haircut. <laughs> I'm excited for the haircut. I can't wait. Uh, it's about fucking time. You know, it's 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 all I want. All I need in this life is sin. My name is Dave Hanready. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. Back next week. Bye. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. At Total Wine and More, we know what pairs perfectly with summer. Go ahead, test us. What goes best with a beach trip? This crisp rosé. A pool party? Try these craft beers. Oh, you're good. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and More. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.